So in today's gospel passage, Jesus takes his top executive leadership on a leadership retreat. They go to a retreat center up in the mountains. And as they listen to Jesus, they have a visionary experience. As they listen to Jesus, they see him in conversation with the top religious authorities of their tradition. Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah, the prototypical prophet. And Peter is so moved by seeing this interplay of Jesus with the upper echelon of their religious tradition that he says, if you wish, Jesus, I'll be happy to build three honorary dwelling places for the three of you. And of course, Peter here is paying Jesus the highest compliment possible. Moses, he's, he's the top, and Elijah, he's the top, and I'm going to lift you up. You're the Kobe Bryant, or you're the Michael Jordan of spirituality. And then the cloud, the luminous cloud, descends, evoking the story of Moses going up to the mountaintop to receive the law. And they hear this voice so powerful that it makes them fall to the ground. The voice of God, this is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. And uh, so Jesus then comes and they're so afraid they're on the ground. They're having a kind of breakdown and he touches them. Listen, guys, don't be afraid. Stand up. And they only now see Jesus. Moses and Elijah have faded away. And then Jesus leads them down the mountain. Don't tell anybody about this. man. don't tell anybody about this until later after the son of man has been raised from the dead. So interesting Uh, He's just been proclaimed son of God, and yet he refers to himself as son of man. His favorite real, real title for himself. We Christians make a lot about son of God, but Jesus preferred this term, son of man. I was once in a a theological discussion in a group where I we we had to go very very deep in in this term, son of man. And uh, I'll tell you my best understanding of the term, taking into account its roots in the Hebrew scriptures. When you hear the word son of, you think that's the new generation, son of man, the new generation of humanity, humanity 2.0. If you know the, the, the New Testament, it's the new humanity that Paul often talks about. When, when that new thing is going, then remember this. This is important to remember. The perfect story to end the season of Epiphany because here is the, the, the outshining, the brightness, the luminescent cloud, and also the perfect uh, passage to launch us in the coming weeks into the season of Lent. You know, so many people, when they begin Lent, they 
focus on what it is they're going to give up. Okay, I'll give up chocolate. Okay, I'll give up... I'm just trying to think of something I don't like, right? So I can <laughs> promise to give it up. What if we entered this season, instead of thinking about what we're going to give up as some little thing to show how pious we are, what if we were to say this Lent, how can I fall in love in a deeper way with things that really, really matter? Oh, Moses, the law. Listen, the law is a great gift to be told, here's what correctness is, here's what's legal. Uh, and uh, by the way, when we have people who throw out law and don't show respect for law, we realize law is a precious thing. And then the prophets, the prophets say, the law is good, but you even need to go beyond the law to be concerned about justice and compassion because sometimes the law is abused. So Moses, Elijah, and now Jesus comes and the voice from heaven says, put Jesus even at a higher level. He's not just a lawgiver. He's not just a prophet. He's my beloved. What if this Lent we were to try to allow our hearts to fall more deeply in love, first of all, with Jesus, so that then we would love everything that he loves? You know, uh, there's been a lot of abuse of this passage. Uh, in Christian history, this has been used as part of something called supersessionism. There's your word you can brag about to your friends. Supersessionism is an ugly word. It's, it's in Christian history. It says, oh, in this text, we have Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. That represents Judaism. And now we lift Jesus up to a higher level. This is why Christianity is superior to Judaism. And this fed into a Christian supremacy that was related to a white supremacy that led to anti-Semitism. And can I just say, that is a terrible way to interpret this text, especially if you know Christian history. A far better way to understand what's happening here is this. Moses gave the law. That's great. Elijah was a prophet. That's great. But let's be honest about our religious history. Even our greatest hero, Moses, he killed a lot of people. You might know the story. After he came down from the mountain, he found a kind of idol-worshiping, orgy going on. And so he called everyone who heard him and agreed with him to go in and slay their brothers and sisters who were part of this uh, travesty of religion, himself creating a kind of religious violence in God's name. And Elijah, Elijah's most famous for another episode of religious violence where uh, he called down fire on the prophets of another religion and they were destroyed. You might recall in the Gospels, once Jesus' disciples remembered Elijah and they said, those people over there, they're not with us. Should we call down fire upon them like Elijah did? And Jesus' response was, you do not know what spirit you are of. In other words, I don't care if you refer to Elijah, that's just plain evil, boys. Don't think like that. What makes Jesus the beloved son is that Jesus reflects the 
the loving heart of the Father. Jesus never killed anyone. Jesus never sanctioned violence. When in the name of God and religion, a woman was about to be stoned, Jesus stood up in a sense between the stoners and the victim. Jesus was against violence most powerfully revealed when he was on that cross and as he was outstretched on the cross, he did not look down at the people who had nailed him there and said, I'll be back. And when he rose from the dead that we'll celebrate in just a few weeks, his words to his disciples weren't, go get those people who did this to me, but rather go into all the world and proclaim reconciliation and forgiveness to everyone. Jesus, the beloved son, was nonviolent. Jesus, the beloved son, lived the love of God for all people. And the Christian religion, wouldn't it be nice if instead of calling itself superior to Judaism or any other religion, wouldn't it be great if the Christian religion looked back on its own violent history and heard the voice of God saying, it's time to grow up and actually hear the message of Jesus, a message of love, non-discriminatory love, love for everyone without exception, gay, straight, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist, Hindu, Christian, whatever, no discrimination, wherever you were born, whatever you earn, whoever you love, the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ calls us to move on and leave all of that judgment and hatred and superiority and supremacy behind. When you do, it makes sometimes makes you have to look at Moses and actually have a few words of critique or Elijah and have a few words of critique. Can I tell you, as I looked at the scriptures for this week, and read Psalm 2 that we heard so beautifully rendered by the choir, I thought, maybe we have to hear the words of Jesus in conversation with that psalm that speaks of the Christ ruling with a rod of iron, smashing his enemies like smashing a pot. And maybe this becomes a time for us to say, oh, hear Jesus, he's calling us beyond the past. He's calling us to a new level of nonviolence and genuine, non-discriminatory love. I have a dear friend, oddly enough, named John Deere. Not the tractor, but D-E-A-R. And John is a Jesuit priest. I think he spent more time in jail than any other living Jesuit priest because he's a peace activist and an anti-nuclear weapons activist. And he's been involved in nonviolent protests that's landed him in jail for a long time on several occasions. And I just heard John say recently how he thinks now that we should maybe rethink how we just read violent passages of scripture in our churches as if they're on the same level as Jesus. Do you understand how we demote Jesus to that level of violence? Something I love about the Episcopal liturgy when the, the priest or the reader goes among the people and the reading of the gospel, in a sense, is lifted up. Not to say the Christian religion is superior because we Christians 
have been worse than anybody. But to say, let's hear the nonviolent, loving message of Jesus, so important right now. Uh, you may not have noticed, but we're in an election year. And let's be honest, uh, this every four years, we enter into kind of the combination of the Super Bowl, the World Series, and a big wrestling match uh, where we all try to claim moral superiority over each other. And then we try to get on with having a country after it's all over. And I think this year, all of us know that many religious people will be adding their fuel to the fire of moral superiority and supremacy and racism and hate and fear and disdain. Maybe this year more than ever, we have to hear those words echoing from heaven, this is my beloved son, hear him. The story ends and they go back down the mountain and the crowds are waiting, hungry, sick, needy, uh, under oppression. Guess who's the first person they meet when they go down the mountain? A father with a beloved son in pain who needs to be healed. May we carry that love with us when we come down from this mountain into the week ahead. Amen.